Tools for Living, Room to Grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 87. Well, it's only about a distance of 16 inches, depending on your size, but it's crazy how hard it is to get God's love from your head to your heart. But I'm convinced there's nothing more important, you guys, for until we get rooted and established in God's love, our heart will tend to wander and waver. In today's conversation, best-selling author and all-around amazing woman of God, Lisa Bevere, shares from her new book, Fiercely Loved. This is an interview that every woman needs to hear, so I hope you'll share it with your friends. Well, I am so excited to have Lisa Bevere in the living room with me today. Lisa, you are such a gift to the body of Christ, to the women of God. I just, I I followed your ministry all of these years, you and John, and here in Montana, you guys are just blessing us through your books and your studies and just the ministry of Messenger International. Thank you. How many years has it been that you've been doing this? We are coming up on 40 years. And so John and I have been married 40 years this October. We've been in the ministry for over 35. So yeah, but you too. I mean, Mm -hmm. Joanna, you have been a long-term voice for the women. And I just want to thank you for that. So we're just running parallel. Uh, well, it, it, it is a, just a delight to know you. I got to meet you many years ago, just briefly and just appreciate your heart. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> like my head's just been spinning as I've just thought about so many of your ministries. You know, I'm, I'm always hearing about, uh, women who have just been blessed by your Bible studies. You had a book just come out, uh, uh maybe last year called Godmother. And I so much wanted to talk to you about that. Can you just give us a taste of it? Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm Sicilian. And I, so I, I thought this will be fun. Um, they always talk about godfathers, but we're not talking about people that kill people. We're talking about older women coming alongside the younger women and helping them close the gaps in their lives. Uh, we all need women who don't just identify our gaps, but actually help us create bridges, help us close some of those gaps. And if you're wondering what's a gap, well, a gap is the difference between the way things are and the way they could be, the way your marriage is and the way your marriage might be, you know, these different gaps. And, you know, I think older women can actually miss out on opportunities. I find that, and maybe you're seeing this as well. I find that the younger women think that the older women can't be bothered that the older women are too busy being retired and golfing and they don't have time for them. And then the the older women think that the younger women don't want what's in their lives. And there's been this disconnect between the older and the younger generation. And yet God has always set it up that the older women must teach and train the younger women to love their husbands, to train their children, and to do good. And so I think a lot of times, Joanna, if the older women don't like what they're seeing in the younger women, they need to ask themselves, am I investing in them? Mm -hmm. Am I coming alongside them? Am I opening up the treasury of my life? And so I kind of felt like everybody needs a godmother, someone that comes in, closes those gaps, comes alongside of them when they're at major crises, opens up, their life to share the lessons they've learned the hard way so the next generation 
doesn't have to do it the hard way. And so I did things with, you know, Mary and Elizabeth. We have, we've got this beautiful story of Ruth and Naomi and just this whole dynamic of older women and younger women. And then the whole fun concept of a godmother, you know, we've got the fairy godmother in Cinderella. And interesting thing about Cinderella, I think there's 3,500 different versions of it. And the story arc of Cinderella, the, the rise, fall, rise, is exactly the story arc of our redemption. Mm. And so that's why it has a universal appeal to people. And so anyway, I just think we all need to have multi-generational connections. Oh, I so agree. I, you know, I think, I think the enemy loves to make us all feel irrelevant, you know, and Absolutely. after all the years, you know, it's so funny because I, I entered ministry at 19. So I was like wow. one of the youngest girls in the room. And so it's just so bizarre to know, go, Oh, I'm an older woman and, and how to feel like how to engage. And yet I, I don't know about you, but I just, I've just sensed over these years, especially this last 20 years that we have a whole generation of motherless Christian women who, you know, maybe had great, a great mother, but didn't have a spiritual mother, didn't have someone to come alongside of her. And so, you know, it, I love that you're closing that gap, you know, to say, wait a minute, we need each other. And I just know my life is richer because of the younger women. You know, it's not just, it's not just one way. There's this beautiful give and take that I'm so appreciate. Absolutely. You know, I had the chance to interview your beautiful daughter in love. I call that's what I call my daughter in law. I call them the same. Yep. Yeah, Juliana. And she just talked about um, their ministry with sons and daughters. But we, we talked just briefly a little bit about just that, what a gift you've been to her. And, you know, we're going to dive into your new book because I can't wait. But I would love just to hear what have you learned on this journey of being a mother in love and not just a mother-in-law, not just because your son married these girls, but because God's put you together. How, what have you learned? Well, you know, interesting that you would ask, I get asked that a lot because I, I do have a beautiful connection with my daughter in loves. And I call them the same things. Cause I feel like daughter-in-law sounds like, I don't know, like, they're in prison to your family or something, <laughs> but um, they are, they are each a deep well and treasure in my life. And I will say Juliana came to us very young. She was 19 when she married Addison. And I remember looking at her world. Uh, her parents were divorced, remarried, divorced again. Her father was wrestling with alcoholism. Um, my parents were divorced, remarried, divorced again. My father uh, was wrestling with alcoholism. We had so much uh, similar background of pain and brokenness. And I remember uh, Juliana, I felt like she was kind of perhaps acting out a little bit. It, our family's a big, loud mess. It, it, it would be an adjustment for anybody to come into it. But I remember, I thought, I need to spend some time with her. And so we went out to lunch. And I said to her, I said, you know, Juliana, you and I both come from families that have divorce in them. And I said, in divorced family, the children always have to make a choice. And I said, it's hard. You have to choose your mother's side or your dad's side. And I said, in this family, you don't need to make a choice, nor do you need to make Addison make a choice. 
I said, the fact that Addison loves me and is his mother means he's going to be an amazing husband to you. I said, now, if you say, Addison, you got to choose between your family and me, he will choose you. But because he should, because that's that's what you do when you get married. But he will resent you for you making him have to choose. And I said, there's enough room. There's enough love for all. Mm -hmm. And I said, Juliana, you never have to write a book. You never have to get up and do a sermon. There's only one thing, only one thing I hope and pray that you will do. And that is that you will love my, my son well. Mm -hmm. And she's definitely done that. They are so great together. They've grown together. They're adorable together. But I also think that uh, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law is an incredibly, incredibly complex relationship. I don't think it's as hard as son, son-in-law and mother-in-law. I think that's an easier one. But I do think that there can be some competition between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and that does not need to happen. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I know we kind of had that. It's almost like you have to learn how to dance together, like to find that rhythm. And when uh, my son, John Michael, married Cammie, just this incredible girl with so much talent, but she's as quiet as I am loud. And, you know, and I'm just, I'm kind of all over the place and she's, she's just more thoughtful and so gifted in so many ways. And, and I had that kind of that same conversation on the part of you just get to be you, you don't have to write. You don't have to speak. You don't have to, you don't have to do all the things that God's called me to do. You get to be you and, and to celebrate that. But I, I think there is that as mother-in-laws, we have the gift of acceptance that we can give and boy, the enemy again, uh, not just in older women, younger women, but the enemy loves to cause these divisions and these gaps. And so, yeah, I think it's turned out to be one of the sweetest gifts of my life, my relationship with my daughter-in-law, but I think we both had to really accept one another as we are. And I sense that in your relationship with Juliana. You talk about closing the gap and this new book, Fiercely Loved, God's Wild Thoughts About You. I'll tell you what, there. I don't think there's any more important question than this, closing the gap between getting God's love from our head to our hearts. Because man, I don't know, I, I kind of have this theory that every Christian has to make that journey of closing that gap. What, how has it been for you? Yeah, I remember it began when very early on, thank goodness. Um, I remember that when I first got saved, it was really popular for everybody to pray prayers like, God, I want you to use me to do this and use me to do this and use me to do this. And, and I, I feel like, I feel like he let me, he let me pray like that for a while. And then one day I had such a sense that he asked me a question. He said, have you ever been used by a friend? Mm. And I thought, yes, yeah, I I have. And he said, how did it feel, Lisa? And I said, I felt, I felt betrayed. He said, have you ever been used by a boyfriend? I thought, yes. I thought, didn't think you're going to remember those things. (laughs) He said, how did, how did it feel? And I said, I felt abandoned. I felt rejected. And he said, I don't use people. I heal them. I anoint them. I love them. I transform them to my image. 
Satan uses people. Mm. Now, surely God will use things in our lives. He'll use, uh, you know, um, incidents, struggles, uh, our marriage, our family. But as far as using a person, that's not what he does. And it's interesting that in our conceptual thing, we receive the love of God when we first get born again. And then somehow we think we have to earn it to keep it. Like, okay, so now I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn it by doing, doing, doing. Now, I do believe that out of receiving God's love for me, of course, I will keep his commandments. Of course, I will, because I love him and he loves me. And there's a settledness that fruit will come out of that. But I don't have to produce fruit to prove that, to, to get him to love me. He already loves me. And one of the scriptures that I think is so beautiful that captures this is, I think David, more than anybody, had a revelation of the love of God. And I actually put it on the back of the book because I thought some people might be like, wait, I feel fiercely judged, mm. not fiercely loved. And so I thought, I need to I need to hit this right away. In Psalm 139, verses 17, 18, David said, how precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. So right there, wait, wait, God has precious, yeah. good, treasured thoughts about you, about me, about that person listening right now that doesn't even think God thinks about them, doesn't even think God sees them. It says they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. So what God is saying is, I have a treasury of thoughts towards you that is innumerable and constant. And I don't think people have an awareness that that is how God sees us. They may think, well, he has to see us that way because Mm -hmm. Jesus died for us, but he doesn't probably really like us even. Well, that's not true either. He has treasured thoughts towards us. He, he loves our unique, um, everything, you know, to be honest with you, having, uh, been a Christian now for almost 40 years well, actually 40 years, I realized that God must have an incredible sense of humor or he would never have made humans. But just even having grandkids and children, you just see things. And even, even I'll have to be honest with you, even some of the silly uh, naughtiness in my kids, I'm like laughing about it. And I wonder if God is even like, you know, he's not like, oh, wow, did she just, did she just say that? Wait, did she, you know, oh, don't, Jesus, don't even worry about it. She says silly things all the time. She'll do it. You know, I I remember my mom growing up and again, I was not raised in a Christian family, but my mom would always say, um, and I didn't even really know it was a a thing. She'd say, there's two children in the Bible. One says, no, I won't do it. Then they do it. The other says, yes, I'll do it. And then they don't do it. You're the I won't do it. I have rights. I won't do it. And she says, I, I don't know why you have to fight so much on the front end, because I always know you're going to do it. She said, your brother, on the other hand, says, yes, mom, I'll clean my room and it doesn't get done. So she, she said, I just think it'd be easier if you just did it the easy way. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Yeah. Well, I know that that was my journey to Lisa, even though I was raised in a grace filled home in a grace filled church. And, and I knew, I knew with one part of me that Jesus loved me, there was a mm. whole nother part that thought I had to earn it. 
and try to be good and do good. And the same thing, you know, Lord Jesus, use me, use me. And, and not realizing until I was 29 years of age that he didn't mm. use, choose me to use me. That's so good. You know, he chose me to know me and to, to be known by me. And so I think this message of getting it from our heads to our hearts is so important, but also super important that it is a fierce love. You know, it's not this passive love and it's interesting. I've had some letters and I'm sure you've had letters over the years with people who just theologically don't necessarily agree with one of my points of view. I've never had that. I'm just kidding. Of course you didn't. Of course. But this, the, I had this one woman and she took, uh, she took a uh, objection about, I I'd said, um, just, just the loneliness of God that he longs for relationship with us. And he, and she said, no, he is completely other. He doesn't need us at all. And I knew what she was saying that he is holy. He's not, he doesn't need us in the weak way that we need but he wants us. He wants us. And when you look at scripture, there is no, oh yeah, it would be nice if you'd be my friend. It's like this passionate pursuit of relationship. And if we kind of sanitize God into this distant other, we miss that fierce, passionate friendship that he wants to have with us. Absolutely. I love that because when God gave me that revelation of, I don't use people, he said, who you are to me is more important than anything you will ever do for me. Mm. And here's the thing, who I am to God is not author. Who I am to God is not John Veer's wife, even though that is a role an author is a role. Who I am to God is not mother of four sons or grandmother to six. Who I am is daughter. Yeah. And, and our identity is connected to him. And so my identity can never be taken from me. Roles I could lose, but not, not identity. Mm-hmm. My identity is settled in Christ. I am the beloved of God. I am his daughter. I am his and he is mine. And, and I, I do think that I understand what your friend was saying but the truth is there's this bride and this bridegroom image repeatedly painted. And it's not the bridegroom is kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll come back for my bride. I mean, the bride has gone to prepare a, a place mm-hmm. to astound his beloved, to, to make a home for her. And I, I think too many people don't understand that God's love is an all-consuming love. And it consumes that which would unmake the beloved. Mm -hmm. And so the God who loves us, his love transforms us to actually who we are really meant to be. I had somebody um, ask me recently, she said, you know, I have a friend who's my beautiful friend and she's uncomfortable in her body. She feels like she was a mistake, that she was born wrong. And what would Jesus say to her if, if he was sitting right here with her? And I said, he would say to her that you are not who you see or feel right now, that you're this life, this body is a seed. It's a seed. And who we really are is an eternity. And you will never be comfortable here in this body because this place is not our home. And anytime we try to be comfortable in a place that isn't our home, we're going to feel out of sorts. 
you know, I, this is my home. This is my home. I'm sitting in my office. I can behave a certain way in my office and in my home that I could not do in your office or your home because that's your home. And right now we're imagining that this body and this world is our home. And we forgot it's a vapor and we are here passing through made for another time in another place. And love is what actually will move us from here to there. So, um, yeah, I just, I just don't, I think we've, we've argued about the wrong things Yeah, and we've tried to act like I can make myself whole here, which I can't, I can't. Yeah. Well, and I keep thinking that, you know, it's just that lie of the enemy that if I could just be there, if I could just have that, I would be satisfied, but there keeps moving. You know, we never get there because you're right. We were made for a a, a completely different world. And don't you think that's a lot of our frustration? We keep thinking this should be heaven and it isn't. Yes. I mean, I I have found myself when I was writing Godmothers and uh, I actually feel like my team was like, you may not quote C.S. Lewis again, Uh, (laughs) but because I I feel like you're, you're getting ready to your maximum level of quoting. Uh, But he asked this question of, why, why are you thinking this world is your home? What, what goodness has this world given us? And it is that pursuit of the world that actually makes us an enemy of God. So it's interesting. It says, you know, when you, when you make yourself a friend with the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And it's different to be a friend with than a friend to. Mm -hmm. So if I am a friend to the world, I'm bedside to the world. But if I'm a friend with the world, I'm in bed with the world. It means I pursue what the world pursues, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Pride of life, I love the way the message paraphrase breaks that down. It says, wanting to appear important in the eyes of people. Yeah. The truth is, there are so many people that want to appear important in the eyes of people. But at the end of the day, those people, would not give their life for you. There is one who gave his life for you. And that is the one we need to make sure has the highest priority. Um, I have I have a little routine I do at night. Um, I'm, you know, I'm gracious and, and I'm glad that I have the ability to speak into a lot of people's voices on, uh, I mean, I have a lot of voice into people's worlds on social media, but every single night when I put my phone down, I say, Good night, pretend world. <laughs> it's not. It's not my real world. Yes. My real world is my neighbor down the street. It's my children. It's my grandkids. It's my husband. And my real world deserves more of my time and attention than my pretend world. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we find more ease of affirmation through our pretend world than our real world. But our real world is where I have to do the real work in my life, mm-hmm. and um, that's reflected. Uh, how I'm loved is how I love those I can see, not those I can't see. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. And until we're really rooted and established in God's love, we're it's almost like we go around with an umbilical cord to people saying, please, please make me okay. Please tell me I matter. And we always come up empty. Yes. Tell me I'm enough. Yeah. I keep thinking of that verse, Ephesians 3, 19, where Paul says, I pray that you together with all the saints may have power to grasp how wide and la- high and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love 
that surpasses understanding. And I don't, you think that's part of our problem? Like, okay, I'm fiercely loved, but we can't even begin to comprehend it. And because we can't comprehend it, we don't always receive it. How's the process been? Yeah. So I think a lot of people, it's white noise. When they hear Jesus loves you, they're like, yeah, whatever. And I think that's because they, they have a mental ascent, but they've never experienced the love of God. Yeah. And, and I have, I have had moments where I deserve judgment and I experience love and mercy. I have had moments where I have sensed the tangible presence of God. I remember, uh, my, I want to say, I want to say either, I think I had three boys at the time and I had gone to a service and I, I sit, sat in the back at the service and I was listening to the minister and I was so profoundly affected by, he was a guest minister. I was so profoundly affected by some of the questions he asked, he, he asked, are you safe or are you secure? And mm. he's, and he said, you know, there's safety and obedience, but there's people that try to have self-security. And I mean, man, that had located me. And I, I went home and I just remember, I didn't want to talk to anybody after church. I just wanted to go home and I put on some worship music. My boys were asleep and I was just before the Lord crying. And, and to be honest with you, repenting of God, I'm trying to control everything. Mm. I'm trying to keep all, everything from being a problem. I, I'm trying to have self-security and, and I, I want to repent. I'm going to surrender because there's only safety in surrender. And I'm just surrendering. And, and there was just such a profound moment where I'm talking, talking, surrendering, surrendering. And, and I swear I heard, stop. It's time. I hear you. Now just receive. And, and it was a worship song going on. And literally the presence of God filled my house in such a tangible way that I laid on the floor with worship music. It was like my eyes were closed and it was like the whole room was just enveloped in the love and the presence of God. And it, I don't even know how to explain it. I've had this happen a couple of times where I, I remember thinking it's it's invaded the room. I am enveloped in the love of God. And I just think it came from a place of surrender. Yeah. But I hadn't even done anything yet. Right. And Jesus, he went into the Jordan River to be baptized. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't fed the 5,000. He hadn't cast out demons. He had just gone yeah. down to be baptized. And then he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he finds out there in the wilderness that you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I think when, when you have a relationship of love with God, you, you hear the words that proceed. When you have just religion, you only hear what preceded. Mm. So the, the word of God is a duty rather than alive. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, and there can be that ebb and flow in your relationship with the Lord, just like there's an ebb and flow. I'm married. I've been married 40 years this year. There's sometimes there's that beautiful oneness. There's no tension. We can sit in silence. We can talk without tension. Then there's other times where it's going to require some work. Right. I'm going to have to go after him and find him. Oh, he's going to have to come after me and find me. Mm. Uh, but, but we're committed to creating an atmosphere of love. And, and our father is 
is a pursuing God. And I find sometimes it's just me stopping and turning because I'm running and he's like, baby girl, stop yeah. and turn. Yeah. And his love is there. And um, his love is, is wild. It's, un, it's astounding. It's untamed. It's not like a man's love. It's more. It's not like a friend's love. It's more. It's not like a mother's or a father's love. Mm -hmm. It's more. It's not like a brother's sisterly love. It's more. It's everything plus more. Yeah. It, it's the love that we were created and re to respond to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can hear some women out there going, oh, Lisa, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I want it so bad, but I have never felt the presence of the Lord, like you just described. And, you know, I, I've thought for my own life, you know, I can look back and there were just intersections where God's presence intersected my life and it was just mercy and it was grace and it was God. It wasn't me mm -hmm. making anything happen. And I think so many times we're like, we're trying to be good girls. We're trying to do the right things. And yet it's so empty and it's so dry because we're pursuing good works and we don't really know how to pursue his presence. Do you have any advice for those girls who maybe just have never had that? You know, you talk about in the book, just the importance of the Holy Spirit and making room for him. How, how do we take that baby step towards him so we can actually encounter him in that kind of a way? I know for me, it always involves worship. Mm -hmm. It always, and, and I'm not a singer. I wish I was. I wish I could sit down on the piano and, and just pour out my soul. But like, for example, there are certain songs that I just sense such the beautiful peace and presence of God. And, you know, I'll say one of them uh, that I, it's, it's, it's an old school one, but I've loved it forever is the song I surrender. Yeah. You know, um, it's, um, it just go, it just goes through a, a cry for the presence of God, you know, quench my soul as mercy and grace unfold. You know, I long, you know, for you, and there's just this, I'm desperate for you. And, and there comes this time where sometimes I have to rewind it. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course I don't have to rewind anymore. I guess I just go back to the beginning of my, <laughs> my phone, but I just, I'll just stay. Yeah. And I'll empty, empty my mind of burdens, mm. of judgment, self-judgment, person judgment, hurt. I just surrender. I just continue to surrender it. You know, God, you know, forgive me for that. Or Father, I just thank you that, that you're taking care of this. And as I pause, you know, and this is as when we look through the Psalms, there's always that invitation to say long, to pause mm. and, and be overwhelmed yeah. with wonder. And I just don't know in our day and time whether enough opportunity is made for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I personally am not a good morning person, but before I get out of bed, I lay in my bed and I go through the Our Father. Mm. You know, I, I just lay in my bed and I go through each piece of it. You know, Our Father my father who art in heaven, yeah. holy is your name. And let me think about God, your name is holy. Mm -hmm. You reign in heaven. You're above it all. When I cry to you, I'm going to the highest level, the highest place, the highest, you know, and then I just go through it, you know, at, and at, it, give us this day, this daily bread. God, I, I, I trust that you have already a portion for me. 
You know, I'm going to forgive as I am forgiven. Oh God, what do I need to forgive? Because I know I need to extend mercy because I need mercy. And I just go through that. And then, you know, then I drink a lot of uh, copious amounts of espresso. Then I'm in a position to read. Uh, but John, John will jump up, go outside, walk outside, pray for an hour, then come in and read for an hour. And I'm just still moving very slowly. So God will meet you where you're at. Amen. But usually for me, the presence of God isn't first thing in the morning. It's usually later for me. Yeah. But it's usually when I'm engaged and I am present. And, you know, I just don't know that. The, and and you, it doesn't have to be. I felt the presence of God in tangible ways driving in my car yes. to worship music. So I, I just think that um, another thing is the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Yes. I remember I asked God, I said, I am so tired of everybody saying you're talking to them. And I feel like you're not talking to me. And I, I want to know your voice. Yes. I want to recognize your voice. And you said in your word, my sheep know my voice and the voice of the stranger they'll not listen to. So I, I want that. Yeah. And I'll give you permission to wake me up in the middle of the night if you want to talk to me, mm. but don't be silent. Mm. And and that, you know, keeping a journal and asking those kind of things. I mean, I didn't start by writing books. I started by writing in my journal. Me too. Writing prayers. Yep. And, and, and I could go back and it was beautiful because I'd see the faithfulness of God. I know that you've mm. had the same thing happen. And what's so funny is the things that, I was so upset about when I was in my twenties. They're a walk in the park now compared to what I'm like, what? Why was I so upset about not being invited to a bridal shower or, you know, or something like yes. that? I mean, it was yes. like the end of the world. You know, yes. I've got, how are they increased that trouble me? Many there be that rise up against me. I'm like, what in the world? This is I need a reality check. Love it. I, you know, spe speaking as now the older women, I'm like, you know what? There is some blessings in menopause. <laughs> yes. Yes, like, there just is. Things don't send me so wackadoodle as they used to. And I'm like, I wish I, I wish I would have known that. But just because what? I feel it doesn't necessarily mean that it's real. And to just even invite the Lord. I'm just so glad. I'm so glad that God understands all that. <laughs> I, and again, I think he laughs about it. I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, it, it, there's been a number of my books where I've been able to share how I allowed my feelings to take me emotional hostage and, uh, going through menopause, Holly, I'm on the other side, cause I'm 62 this year, but going through menopause, there's a crazy lady in your brain that says things like punch your husband in the face. And you're like, no crazy lady, I'm going to renew my mind. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not punching him or yell, yell at the air, at the flight attendants, start freaking out on the airplane. I'm like, not, not doing it. You got to renew your mind That's by good. the word of God. Yes. And so when I renew my mind, I can rightly divide between mm -hmm. Lisa's crazy woman called menopause woman or Lisa yeah. that, and, and like, we just going to rightly divide and, uh, cause you, and, and putting all the silliness aside, we do live in a day and a time where a lot of things sound right, mm -hmm. but feel wrong. And we've got to know the difference and how we know the difference is through the word of God. Yes. Oh my goodness. We need discernment these days because I keep thinking of Paul's words. You know, I'm so I, I'm concerned that 
how do they say that you might be led astray like Eve was from your pure devotion to Christ. And I think that's why getting God's love from our head to our hearts is so important because if we don't, we're going to be, we're going to be so consumed with peripheral matters. We're going to, we're going to forget the thing that matters the most. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I've been talking about the book, Fiercely Loved, I will say to them, it's time you change the way you think God thinks about you. Because it, it's all about that frame of reference that they have that's wrong. And so you can't receive correction in a healthy way or love in a healthy way when you think that God is looking at you, like I said earlier, fiercely judged, barely tolerated, disengaged, looking for a reason to disqualify you, standing on the sideline of your life saying, she, she's going to mess up again or she just did it again, or, or whatever it is, whereas his mercy follows us. Uh, I, I, you know, I find that there's three states right now that people are really wrestling in. There is the fight, which, hallelujah, it's happening every single day. Uh, I, mostly people, I think, with their phones sitting on the toilet, but the fight, there is the, the flight, people running, but there is a frozen mm-hmm. where people have been taken out and they are so afraid of making a mistake. They're not even taking a step. And here's the thing. If you have this ability to be settled in God's love for you, you're willing to risk a misstep, but you're not willing to not take a step. You're like, Heavenly Father, I'm just going to take a step and, and I'm going to believe I'm going to hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way walk you in it. But if you don't take a step, and you're frozen, it doesn't say this is the way I sit you in it. I mean, unless he said, don't move, we, we, we need to keep walking forward. And um, we were made for this day. We are made for this time. And if we are going to make it in a time where there is so much hate, we have got to be able to receive love. Yeah. Because until we receive love, we really can't give love. Absolutely. And you know, it's so trite, but I mean, I think the world is looking for something genuine, not a sugar-coated love, but a, a truth that truth that is spoken, but spoken in love. And it's, yes. it's just getting that, you know, I think that's one of the things I, I remember asking the Lord, you know, why, why do so many of us have head knowledge, but so little heart knowledge? And I was kind of, God, I guess, kind of thought maybe I, I was included in that. <laughs> and so he whispered, you know, Well, it's because you're so stiff necked, you know, and when our pride, when we're so stiff necked, we can't let that filter. But I want to come back because I really think I don't want us to miss this key because I think you have nailed it, Lisa. How do we get God's love from our head to our hearts? I think it is surrender. I know it was for me. It was absolute surrender. I can't keep God on parole. I can't say, well, if you behave, I'll love you. If you behave, I'll believe you love me. When I surrendered all and said, I don't get to say how my life goes. My life belongs to you. I haven't struggled as much with whether he loves me or not, because he doesn't have to prove it. I just know in my knower. Well, and the truth is control is an illusion. I I have, uh, when I married John, I was a control freak. And I found out the reason why I tried to control everything wasn't because I was a bad, evil, controlling person, even though it might look that way. I was afraid. Mm. I was afraid if I wasn't in control, I was going to get abandoned. I was going to get hurt. 
I was going to get rejected. And so the fear had a deeper root of unbelief where I believed that God was good for everyone, but not for me, you know, because of different things that had happened in my life. I'd said, oh, well, I lost an eye to cancer or my parents were divorced twice or this didn't happen or that didn't happen. And so if you came to me and said, Lisa, will you believe with me? I joined hands, pray with you, believe with you. But I didn't believe for me because I believe that God loved you, but not necessarily me. And that had to become a a heart issue um, to, to understand that God was ultimately in control and that me trying to control everything was going to be an exercise in exhaustion and then surrendering surrendering to that fact because it you know it's just exhausting to try to be multiple people to try to control all the outcomes and you know the the truth is a lot of us have uh things that happen that are outside of our control and yet none of it is ever surprising god so um it's it's we just got to surrender it beautiful Well, oh my goodness, this has been so rich and I could just talk to you for hours. Well, I've got your phone number now. So now I can, we can make that happen. Awesome. (laughs) Let's, let's do that. I would, I would love that. I just, I just think of so many women that I just, I just sense in my heart, they, there has been things that has just touched in so many places. And as we just close, would you pray for those girls out there? I would be so honored. Father, your word said, that you have loved us. It was already settled. You have loved us with an everlasting love and that you draw us with your loving kindness. And so, Father, I just ask that for my beautiful sisters that have never experienced that love, whatever is blocking it, whatever thing, lie the enemy has told them, whatever lie religion told them, Father, I ask that your love that does not fail, would invade their lives, tear down those strongholds. And I just ask for the presence of God and the whisper of your Holy Spirit. I ask that when they would read the word, they wouldn't see judgment, but they would see love and mercy. And Father, I thank you that you would highlight the things that need to be highlighted and you would downplay the things that need to be downplayed in their lives. And I just thank you, Father, that you are yes and amening to them, that you have created them because you love them and that they are there. They, there's a purpose, there is a plan, and they are not an afterthought in Jesus' name. Thank you for this, Father. Amen. 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 What's keeping you from accepting the love of God, my friend? The good news of the gospel didn't stop with your salvation. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I are fully accepted in the Beloved. We do not have to earn it, which is really good news. Because if you're like me, even on my best days, I could never deserve God's amazing grace. You'll find links to Lisa's new book as well as all of her amazing resources over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 087. And if you scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll find a spot where you can sign up for my newsletter. And I really hope you'll do it because, oh, you guys, I've got so much exciting stuff happening this summer that I really want you to be a part of. 
You can follow me on social media. I will be talking about it there at Joanna Weaver Books on Instagram and Facebook because there's going to be a very special Insiders Club that opens in a few weeks for those of you who'd like to be part of my book launch team. I'll tell you more next episode. But um, anyway, love to have you be a part. Until next time, my friend, remember, you are fiercely loved by God. In fact, there's not a single thing you can do to keep him from loving you, but you can certainly miss it if you don't get around to receiving it. For as we let God's love make its way from our head to our hearts, we'll begin to live and love and lead like his son, our beautiful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See you next time.